This is City AM Unregulated. I'm Emma Hazlitt. And I'm Zach Meir. On this week's show, Body Language When Networking. Where do you go from playful into heavy flirtation? It's a very delicate one. We're joined by author Elizabeth Kunker. What I notice most about Theresa May right now, she's got a bit of a kick to her. And social entrepreneur Ollie Barrett. We revel in our self-deprecation in this country. More often than not, if I were to dial up the outgoing confidence, most Brits I meet can't bear it. Welcome to City AM Unregulated. Hello, welcome to this week's City AM Unregulated. This week I'm sitting here trying to be as neutral as possible because I'm regretting agreeing to do a show with two body language and networking experts who've probably been analysing my every move since they walked in. Me too. We're joined by Elizabeth Kunker, author of Body Language, How to Read Others and Communicate with Confidence, and social entrepreneur Ollie Barrett, who started Speed Network the Globe, the three-minute networking concept. So Elizabeth, your book talks a lot about listening. Shouldn't we be watching instead? Well, it's a combination of each, because when you're really listening with full attention, active listening, you're observing. So you've you're observing with your eyes, you're observing with your body, you're observing with your ears. So it's listening and watching. Um, but the problem is that many men have problems doing two things at the same time, listening and watching. You can either only listen or only watch. Right. I'm one of them. It's like walking and chewing gum. Well, I think you're doing very well. And what I really loved just then was the way you put up your hand in the stop position to say, in effect, Elizabeth, hold on. Hold on there, girl. And what was really nice about the way you did it, too, was your fingers were open. So it was more warm gesture than if you would put your hand up in a closed finger gesture, which would have been a little bit more aggressive. So what right. <laughs> well, that was, so no conflict there. No, no problem with that. No that problem. Right. That was that. okay. That was absolutely all right. I, I can't observed remember the you that because I was uh, <laughs> looking at your hand and not listening to what you were saying. Can we can we launch straight into the news here? Uh, we've got a new prime minister, or will have by the time this comes out. What can we tell about Theresa May from her body language? Well, from her body language, what I noticed most about Theresa May right now are her shoes, like the rest of us. So she wears a very straight, business-like costume in terms of her suit. But then you look at her shoes and you get her quirkiness. So it's not all just strict business as normal. She's got a bit of a kick to her as well, which tells you she's got some humor inside of her. She's got something a little bit different about her than just your basic gray suit. And Ollie, what's your what's your kind of takeaway from Teresa? Well, as it happens, she's my local MP actually, so I'm wishing her all the very best. What an extraordinary time to take over that position. And so frankly, anyone who's sitting around at the moment thinking, I would like to go into politics, I take my hat off to them because we need even more people to step up. And I wouldn't be amazed, I wouldn't be surprised if more and more people are being put off doing just that. What I do notice about Theresa May, too, you know, going back and reflecting on her body language, is she's a no-nonsense kind of woman, despite her fun and quirky shoes, so that her gestures and her way of moving is quite contained. She's controlled. She's not flamboyant in her gestures and movements. But you know, they, she's been referred to, I believe, as a safe pair of hands, mm -hmm. isn't she? And that comes across in the way she interacts with other people. People have said she's got an element of muti about her, like, like Angela Merkel. Do you think that's true? Do they have similar ways of expressing themselves? In that contained, controlled, firm 
gestures. There's nothing extraneous, flamboyant. They don't let their hands spin around. And they go into the basic power. You're doing just great. (laughs) (laughs) They go into that power position, you know, arms bent, elbows bent, fingers meeting in front of the waist to contain their gestures too. So they both look very firm and serious. Well, at this stage of the podcast, I'm already feeling a little bit self-conscious. I don't know about you, Zach. Um, cool as a cucumber. <laughs> <laughs> so Tony Blair, again, another, another news one. Um, last week, he made his statement about the Chilcot inquiry. He had a kind of a cracked voice and a, a bit of a quiet persona, which then became a little bit less so. Some people have accused him of kind of, of not meaning much at the beginning of his statement. What did you make of it? Yes, I mean, there's a lot of conversation at the moment about emotion in politics, isn't mm. there? And Angela Eagle was being quizzed this morning yeah. by John Humphreys on the Today programme about the fact that she had a tear in her eye and shed a tear. And was this an acceptable way to behave? And my attitude to that is actually, we, I'd like our politicians to be a little bit more human rather than yeah, less human from time to time. And uh, I think we ought to uh, express our emotions a bit more and we do, be a bit kinder than we normally are. And by the way, while I'm on the subject, uh, I don't think it should be seen as such a terrible thing to change our mind about things. Mm. And uh, sometimes in politics, unlike in business, actually, <laughs> uh, in my opinion, um, see what everyone else thinks. But uh, um, if you say, I've changed my mind, you say, well, that's a U-turn, that's a flip-flop. Um, whereas some of the business leaders I speak to say, you know, I've spoken to some people and I've had a think about it. And actually, I've totally changed my mind about this thing. And more often than not, in the business conversations I have, it's like, well, good for you. What I struggle yeah. with is the um, staged crack in the voice, the staged emotions. When, you know, they've been so well-directed that they haven't quite absorbed, as an actor would, how to convey it. So I, I go back to Tony Blair when he spoke at Princess Diana's funeral and how he used his voice to let us know how much he cared. And I felt that it was a bit too staged. But then in the Chilcot aftermath, wasn't he giving the impression he's so full of pain and guilt that you wouldn't really, you would, he's too weak to be attacked? I mean, it was his way of deflecting um, aggression from other people as far as, which, you know, there's a lot of aggression out there as far as what he was allegedly uh, uh, done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that he was going, oh, well, I'm so weak, you couldn't possibly attack somebody in my condition. Well, there is that. And if you you decide to say, okay, I'm going to deflect the aggression that's coming towards me. I'm going to show my underbelly first. Which is what he he did. Could have been what was going on. I mean, he had nothing left. I mean, that was his last uh, defense, really, just to go go into like a hedgehog with a roll up in a little ball. Right. And if that was his choice of how to deflect it, then that was how he deflected it. And as Ollie said, it sounds like for you it was fine and it showed the humanness behind the man. Yes, I suppose I'm a little less cynical than others might be about how much effort goes into those moments. And that was an extremely long uh, two-hour session and I would be absolutely astonished if there wasn't a huge amount of emotion behind all of that uh, given everything that's happened, so I'm far more, um, I'm far more open-minded about how contrived that might be or not. Elizabeth, in in your book, you do talk about politicians lying. Can you explain a bit more about you know why they do what we perceive to be lying? It has to do with tribes, I think. So wanting people to believe what you believe, wanting people to stand for what you stand for. So if if you and I were to act in a similar way, we'd feel connected. We'd say, okay, we're on each other's team, we get it. 
So it's understanding how people behave, how they use their bodies, how they use their voices, and being able to reflect that in order to gain and build trust. So, so I've, I've coached a number of politicians, and it's what image do you want to project? How do you want to be perceived? How do you want people to respond to you? And then, therefore, what are you going to do in order to make that happen? And a lot of that has to do with the mirroring and matching piece, too. So you observe the other people that you're with. You mirror their behavior or match their behavior. You don't mimic it so that they feel comfortable with you. And they feel, oh, she gets it. She understands me. He knows where I'm coming from. And once you've built up that trust and that rapport, then you can shift your behavior and lead whoever it is, your constituents, for example, in terms of politicians, to go where you want, to, want them to go. So when we accuse politicians of lying, what they're really doing is just not doing that very well. They're not shifting their behavior, which makes us mistrust them. Could be if they're not, if they are not building up that rapport from the beginning, building that trust, then we're going to mistrust them for sure. For example, earlier when you and I were first speaking, I wasn't consciously watching you, Emma, but because I do this all the time, I thought, okay, so unconsciously I was thinking this, if that makes any sense. To build up the rapport, we reflect each other's behavior. I reflect your behavior. So I became calmer in my gestures oh my because your gestures were quite calm. And I tend to have a lot of energy in me, so I tend to use my hands a lot and bounce my body around. And when I saw you start using more of your facial expressions and more of your hands and arms, then that opened the door for me to be able to do that too. Are you feeling uncomfortable yet? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to change the subject now. <laughs> Getting off politicians. <laughs> we'll talk about networking next, but before we do, I'd like to talk about attracting others, specifically flirting. Elizabeth book says that there are different ways to attract men and women. Presumably that works in networking as well. Tell me, tell me what I can do to attract different genders. Not in that way. In, in any way you want, because when we wrote, or what we, when I wrote that chapter and discussed it with the editors, because of the way the world is today, it, I wanted it to be inclusive. So if a woman wanted to attract another woman, I didn't want it to sound, you know, uncomfortable. It's just the way the world is, you know. Guys like guys, women like women. We all like each other, we hope. And so let's, what can we do to appeal to them. So for, if you want to attract a woman, so you make her feel good about herself. I think that's the same thing with men too. With a man, you have to be a little bit more obvious about it. Sorry guys, but you might not get the flirtation the first time around. So a woman may have to do it a little bit more frequently than a man. But if a man says to a woman, yeah, I find you really interesting, that's going to be appealing. Right that from the beginning. And if he looks at her in the eye, and if he leans towards her and smiles, as long as he's not being smarmy about it, then that's quite appealing. What do I mean by smarmy? A little bit too much, a little touching, a little too carefully. You know, there's one guy, even at my age, I'm, I suppose I ought to be flattered, but I find it quite disgusting. 
every time he gives me a hug, his hand has this funny little way of slipping. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And kind of, yeah, the guys are, well, <laughs> Ollie's sitting here smiling, nodding. <laughs> the hand has a funny little way of just sliding around. Do you and, have the hand on the waist? Well, it even up a little bit higher, you know, just to have a little touch on that upper part of my body, which under the arm and uh, across my chest, which I find really really unpleasant oleaginous I was, I was gripped by this section of the book um and i think there was there were the, the main pillar of this though is that it seems that everyone has an equal chance of appealing to whoever they want to appeal to mm -hmm. but i'm sitting in this room here I'm, I'm sitting in front of ollie who looks like brian ferry i don't so ollie just has to say hello and you know people be going to be going to be melting in front of him whether they're men or women or anybody else can I say, a quick, a quick if I, if I say, if I say hello, it's like, there's a creep over there. I mean, it's a different, you know, you, we, we don't all have the, you know, we don't all look like oh, George Clooney or um, Giselle Bündchen. And, you know, it's, a, it's not an even playing field. This implies that it's an even playing field. It is, sure an even, it is an even playing field, Zach, because just the way you're looking at me right now with those gorgeous brown eyes, Turning down a little bit. Now that little self-deprecating smile. It's enchanting. You're not Ollie. I'm not Ollie. Yeah, Ollie, I know that type, right? <laughs> you basic George Clooney there. But you know, it's about the <laughs> No offense, Ollie. Okay, we all know you're adorable in that in that George Clooney kind of stuff. You look better on the radio. This is a very sensitive area, isn't it, Emma? Exactly, <laughs> he's gone right off you with me. Brian Ferry, you know, let's stick together. You want Brian? Yeah, exactly. exactly yes. um, you do look like it's a room full of very handsome people. I just want to say. Very sensitive, and I feel like I'm treading on eggshells, frankly, in this whole discussion. To what extent today is it acceptable to pay a professional colleague a compliment about mm. their appearance? I'm just not sure anymore because I'm so hypersensitive. To this whole discussion and then you put into the mix that it depends who's saying it it depends where it's coming from we knew now he's public enemy number one it seems but there was a time when you used to say about boris well boris is boris so he can do anything and therefore i think to zach's point there are certain things that some people could do that others couldn't and anyway my takeaway from that whole conversation is um i think i would argue that perhaps playfulness could be welcomed but flirtation beware in a business context. That would be my word. And that balance of playfulness is, you know, it's a very delicate one. Where do you go from playful into heavy flirtation, a little bit of inappropriate behavior? But Zach, to, back to what you were saying before, it's not about your basic, you know, typical good-looking kind of guy, this Brian Ferry or George Clooney or whatever. It's about the interest. You know, and the more, I remember my father, oh gosh, am I getting on terrible territory here. My <laughs> husband is divine. And to me, he is the most handsome, wonderful man in the world. He's not your traditional, you know, six foot three, blue eyes, blonde haired looker. And my father said, you know, the thing with Carl is, the more you get to know him, the better looking he becomes. And it's that warmth that comes through, it's the interest that gets shown. And also with flirting is saying, in effect, I'm available. I'm, I'm here, I'm interested, I'm, I'm ready for you, right? So one doesn't have to look like Jennifer Aniston or George Clooney to 
be a good flirt. So Elizabeth talked a lot there about rapport. Ollie, how do you build up rapport in a networking situation? Well, I, th I think building rapport is formidably important. And actually, as far as I'm concerned, the sooner you can get two people getting on, sharing a laugh together, finding something they share in common. And by the way, that could be a person uh, that they both know or something they both love or something they both like, uh, the better. And, um, and that's why thoughtful introductions are so important, because regardless of what you do uh, for a living, if I can mention something that you have in common with Zach that I think might get you off to a nice start, perhaps you uh, were in the same uh, uh, you know, holiday destination recently or whatever it might be, then I'll tell you what, that helps. Ollie is the master of introductions, so I just, can you just do an example? Can you introduce... Me to Elizabeth, for example, or Elizabeth to me. Well, I know for a start that you both like writing, don't you? That's what you both have done. So I might say, if I was in a position uh, to commend it, which I would be, I know, shortly after picking it up, I'd say, well, funny enough, Emma, if you don't already know Elizabeth, uh, I'm sure you, you do, but if you don't, uh, she's just written a fascinating book, but be careful, it's about body language, so she's probably <laughs> watching you as we speak. You both have a laugh at me because I'm being a bit of a prat and I don't <laughs> escape and leave you to your own devices. But I've honed in on a writing thing, but what I haven't necessarily done in that instance is say, Emma works for City AM. Because then you might all of a sudden say, watch what you say, Elizabeth, because you're now pitching to be in a newspaper, mm -hmm. you see? You know, you're so charming, you've got the looks and everything else. Obviously, you're going to be a networking specialist. I mean, how do you acquire these talents if you don't have them? I think part of it, and a big part of it, is what you were coming towards, it seemed, having a real interest in people. Being, being curious. So tell me about you. What brought you here yeah, tonight? Is it practice as far as, you know, the, you know if you're... Ollie, you know, is a national figure in this networking area, in the business area. Um, how I, do you I develop these skills? Is it practice makes perfect? Is it is there somewhere you can go and get trained? Uh, I, you know, I read the book here and I, need, you know, I, want, I want to get some charisma. Where do I get charisma from? Well, yeah. right from yourself. It's all within, it, is it? Yeah, I think it's from within. It's, it's demonstrating curiosity. If you show an interest in me, right away I'm going to be drawn to you because you're showing an interest in me. But if it's about, as Ollie said, the worst question you can ask is, so what do you do? Snore. You know, what do you mean, what do I do? I cook, I walk the dog, I, <laughs> you know, I'm nice to my husband most of the time. <laughs> no. But if you say, so tell me, my, tell me about you. What Another question I ask, Zach, on that, by the way, if anyone's uh, interested, is um, what's keeping you busy at the moment? And then people might answer that in, oh, I'm doing a little bit of work on my house, or I've actually just got back from holiday, or I've just become a granddad, or whatever it happens to be. It gives them an excuse not to talk about their business. I mean, um, going back on your question, though, about um, acquiring certain skills, I, I think certainly in Britain, um, if someone comes bundling into a networking environment full of confidence and over-the-top schmoozing, I think Brits find that a huge turn-off, mm. personally. Yeah. So I think someone's far more likely to be engaging and engaged in an event environment if they are hugely more subtle, uh, much less confident. We revel in our self-deprecation in this country. So actually, um, more often than not, if I were to dial up the outgoing confidence, most Brits I meet can't bear it. Is there any difference between socialising and networking in a, in a big sense? And what if you hate it? What if you hate networking? Oh, Most well, people I know don't really embrace networking. No, and I'd say of all the events I go to, one in every two I arrive and think, wouldn't it be nice to go straight back home uh, as soon as I arrive? And then I throw myself into it. So I think being aware that other people in the room will feel similar. And then there are certain techniques you can use if you reach an event of people you don't know. Very often what I'll do beforehand, a bit cheeky, I'll ask for the guest list 
in advance. Mm -hmm. a, bit, a, bit, a bit sneaky, but uh, then I can see who's going to be there, make myself feel a bit more comfortable. And then what I do, let's say Emma was hosting, is I go and say thank you for having me to Emma. Quick shake of the hand, but I need to get away from you as soon as possible because your time is precious. Uh, because you're the host, but what I always do is I say, Emma, this is an amazing gathering, or I make a nice comment, hopefully about the event, and I'll say, who's here, by the way? And then you might say, well, Zach, you probably know, uh, Elizabeth, who's mm -hmm. written that book, and I use your recommendation to get into the room, because you might point someone else at the bar or the door, and then I'm off and running. And before I know it, I feel a bit better and a bit more comfortable about being in the room. So that's just quite practical stuff. But I think to be aware that most people there, as they've arrived, didn't necessarily want to be there. You asked the question, what's the difference, in effect, between socializing and networking? It seems to me networking has more of a purpose, direction to it, than socializing, just getting together for dinner. So when you say asking for the guest list beforehand is a bit cheeky, I disagree on that. I think you're doing your business. Well, I, I agree, which is why I do it. If I thought it was rude, I wouldn't do it. But I, uh, you want to know if someone's 40th birthday. Boy, did I apologize to in advance. And it does make it more interesting, so that, for example, as you say, "Oh, good, Zach's going to be here. I want to talk to him about this, pro you know, product that he's been promoting. All these different programs that you host." And, or I say, "Elizabeth, you know, fancy a quick drink beforehand?" Or we're both going yeah. around the corner. That's not flirting, but so I think. <laughs> Not at all. He didn't even look at me as he said that. If I said a quick green card, that's very different, by the way. He did use my name, which is very appealing, because that, again, is part of the charisma. If you're showing interest in another person and you can connect with them and use their name, they feel important and they think, isn't he charming? One, one technique I do like um, in others as well is I deliberately delay asking someone what they do for as long as possible almost to the point that it can be a bit of a game. I don't evade their line of questioning. For example, if I suddenly was to discover that Zach ran, I don't know, Channel 4, that could really put me off. Yeah, that's You see? Great. And it would direct my line of conversation. And it might intimidate me. So actually, I mm -hmm. prefer to be a little more playful, to build the rapport, maybe to ask a question about the room or the host or the list or something going on in the world. Oh, crikey, new PM by tomorrow, huh? And you might call that small talk, but quite quickly we might turn it to more serious matters. And what then about much the... further down the line, I might find out what Zach does, sorry. No, don't excuse me. What about that question about, so what would you like to get out of tonight? Mm. You know, what would you like to get out of this event? Is there somebody who I might know that I could introduce you to? Yeah. Again, playing the host. When I used to help people with their networking skills, one of the techniques that I gave, and correct me if this is wrong, I hope it's not, was... Act like it's your own party. Mm. Pretend that you're the host and you want to see everybody having a good time. One thing that I'm quite interested in is how do you persuade people to do what you would like them to do through body language? What are your tips? Uh, I don't want to sound ignorant, but I have not been giving my body language significant thought. Um, so in terms of the, the question, how do you persuade people? I mean, what I do try to think about, and it is slightly avoiding your question, because I'm not going to refer to uh, my body here. However, I just try to think around why someone might want to do something. So it's not, it's not the answer to your question, is it? But no. most of the projects terrible are... terrible advice. No, sorry, okay, okay. <laughs> so I'm going to Elizabeth, give you an answer. Yes, right. give us some proper yeah, Elizabeth, advice. Come on, Elizabeth. Here are we. <laughs> so a number of years ago, I went to uh, a networking event after work. And it was, I was tired and it was all kind of, you know, 
uh, did I really want to be there or not? And the woman who was hosting the event came bounding in like a tsunami of St. Bernard puppies. And she was just kind of all over me. And I thought, oh, blinky neck. You know? This is just too much because her body language was so effusive that I really felt that I was being swallowed up in it. A few weeks later, I went to an early morning event, similar you know, setup. And the woman who was running it was superb because she observed, I, because this is my you know, business, I was observing her and how she managed the crowd. I was quite understated at that time. You know, I'd just done train, plane, automobile to get to this event. And she matched my body language. She came over and she sat down with me and she became quite quiet and quite calm until I felt comfortable with her. And then she upped her pace a little bit and I watched her move on to other people. And there was one guy in the room who was full of energy, you know. And as I watched her with him, she matched his body with it, body energy as well. So she was establishing rapport with all of us based on how we were interacting with her. Guys, I feel like we could probably talk forever and ever, but we've reached time, so I'm going to bring this discussion to a close. <laughs> Look at our body language. We were our lips went sad. down. <laughs> sad. Thank you both so much for coming in. It's been absolutely brilliant. Thanks to Elizabeth Kunker and Ollie Barrett, this has been City AM Unregulated. Remember, you can listen to the podcast on cityam.com or download via iTunes or Audioboom to listen on the go. City AM Unregulated is an Audioboom production. Mm -hmm.